0: Well, good morning. What a joy to be with you today at Bethesda, the greatest church in the Metroplex. Come on, you know I'm telling you the truth. We love you, and it's a joy to be back. And Pastor Dan, thank you, thank you, thank you, and your beautiful wife. What a joy to be back. Brendan and I and our whole team have the highest possible esteem for you as a congregation and the leadership that you have throughout this church. Some of us are together for the first time, I'm sure, you're looking me over. <laughs> I'm looking you over. <laughs> you wonder what happened to me, and I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering, how y'all doing? <laughs> I enjoy the music here. I've always said this church has always had the highest class of music in the country. I, I only, I thought you had a good drummer, but I don't know why you got all that bulletproof glass around him over there. <laughs> but everybody does their best and it's above and beyond in this church. and its uh, I'm not just trying to kiss up. I'm being very honest. You guys just do things in the beautiful, first class way. Why would we give God the best of what he hates the most, our flesh? We don't. We give him our highest, highest praise because we worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in flesh, but we worship him in spirit and in truth. Anyway, got my wife with me. We, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, uh, I just came back from Vietnam, uh, about, about 14 days ago or less. I don't, I have to sit down and look on the counter how many days, but, uh, I went back and got a boat and I went all the way to the border of Cambodia on a boat, just a little fast boat in Vietnam and went back to the place where I was injured. And all through that time, of going back, my mind raced with amazing memories that I thought, I would have thought would never have come back up, but when you see, and and the smell, and the the touch, and all the senses are brought alive by being back, I got to tell you something, I wouldn't have made it without Brenda, and I want her to stand, would you welcome my sweetheart, 48 years we've been married, not bad. Uh, she she grad, we both graduated from Lake Worth High School, but she had gone to Lake Worth School System from the day she was a baby, or however old you start school. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lake Worth has been our home all, all these years, and because I married her whole family, I, I tell you, it, just a great family, the Draper family. And I remember coming to the older North Side and to Bethesda all through the years, through the years. We've always cherished the, this church and the worship and the praise and the ministry of every sort. And Brendan and I have been married 48 years, and that's pretty good for a guy only 40. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> they ask me all the time, people, I don't know why people want to know how old I am. They say, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 69, going on 40. 40 is the new 20, so I'm 19. That's called common core math. And I, I really do feel very, uh, I have a little trouble with stairs right now because I've got a, a steel brace that, that makes my leg work, but it's getting better. Every day it's getting better, and I'll be walking without it again before too much longer. And I hope I can stand, they did bring a stool. I hope I can stand for the, my presentation today. If I can stand for the whole presentation, it'll be the first time, and that's my goal for the New Year's, to stand for the whole presentation. I can do it. Now, when parts start falling off, you'll see me head for that chair. And I got a lot of parts. I put them all all on the bed last night, and my wife said goodnight, and I was in the other room. (laughs) That was a joke. That part didn't happen. I'll always tell you when it's not true. It's just having fun, you know. But uh, my hair is artificial. You know, my hair was blown. I got my hair back, but I had to buy it. And I don't mind it, you know. I've chased it across many a church parking lot. Oh, it's embarrassing. But there's a guy in China bald wondering where his hair went because it said on it, made in China. (laughs) And have an artificial ear. One of my favorite moments in my entire life was the year it fell off when I was preaching down in Jamaica, and I didn't know it fell off. I didn't know it fell off. And I'm just speaking away, and everybody goes, ah. And they're sucking air like a hoover, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong, and I look over, and my ear's laying on my shoulder. (laughs) I picked it up, dried the sweat, stuck it back on, I thought, boy, they solved that, made it worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. (laughs) A little more on the line of humor, if you don't mind, before we get a little more serious here, but... uh, I work for the Department of Defense, and I'm a defense contractor, so I'm sent all over the world. I just came back from Okinawa, where I addressed over 7,000 troops in just the beginning of a tour over there that exploded across that beautiful island. So as a DOD contractor, I'm sent to places that are not safe. Uh, One of them was Iraq several years ago, and I boarded a C-130, and that's a cargo airplane, but we were... transferring some detainees that were going to ultimately end up down here at Guantanamo. So they had the detainees on and the special forces team that I was touring with because it was not a dangerous event. They don't want me to get a Vietnam veteran doesn't need to be killed in Iraq, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that doesn't work. And I threw on my body armor, which is real thick and real heavy, and it hit my ear. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, knocked it off, and it landed right down on the, the ramp. And it's got circles and divots and holes and channels and wheels, and it's dark and I don't want to step in on my ear it costs $25,000 to make these things and in the darkness and and by the way the DOD made me what's called an 07 which is a rank I'm pretty rank (laughs) I just thought of that, that's bad but an 07 is a one star general now I don't get paid for that but it's for protocol so I work with the general staff wherever I go and I don't give orders but I did that night. When my ear fell off, I said, nobody move. <laughs> and in the darkness, when a voice says nobody move, everybody stops, including the generals. Everybody stops. Then I had to fess up. I said, my ear fell off. Would y'all find it? Then <laughs> not that sound stupid? <laughs> now, I got all these special forces guys down in the dark feeling around for my ear. And I started laughing. And one of them said a few things I don't repeat in the pulpit or out of the pulpit. <laughs> So he prefaced it with those colorful words. He said, you're just making us look like idiots. I said, no, man, really. My ear fell off, but one of you is close. I hear you breathing. (laughs) Now, I thought that was funny. And one of them looked at me and said, dude, is it me? (laughs) And I'm thinking, you're defending my freedom? (laughs) Might as well laugh about it. No amount of, no amount of, Disability pay, no amount of crying or feeling sorry if myself is going to grow me an ear, correct my face, make my hair grow, grow me a thumb. They made that out of my hip. I don't suck it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> don't suck your <laughs> hip. Or straighten out the crooked fingers. Nothing's going to make it change. But whenever you get hurt, my motto is never let a good scar go to waste. Use it for the kingdom of God and change somebody else's suffering into something joyful. <laughs> Give it up for Jesus in the house of God today. I'm going to ask the young lady who she and her husband have been traveling with, Brenda and me, for uh, 25 years, going on 26. That's, uh, most marriages don't last that long, but our relationship with Dave and Kathy Wampler has been built on the most beautiful opportunity of joint ministry, and uh, she is our associate evangelist for the Reaver Evangelistic Association. She's coming out, I've asked her to sing a particular song this morning. It's an anthem of the church. You know there's anthems that come and go, but this one's stuck. It's kind of like Amazing Grace. It'll always be there. We'll sing it in heaven. But this song, I don't know, there's something about it. Sometimes, and, and Pastor Dan, you know this better than I do, sometimes the lyrics of a song and the tempo of the music just seem to be meshed in a perfect synchronization. This song is mixed with that and the cry of my heart. I could put it in the form of a question. Is it well with your soul? She answers it. It is well with my soul. Would you welcome Kathy Wompler?
1: Of this glorious thought, my sin.
0: Beautiful, Kathy. Very beautiful, Kathy. With your permission and her assistance, we'll let you know that out in the foyer, uh, her music's available. It's a good time to, you only have 360 more days to shopping days till Christmas. <laughs> so pick up her music. Three great albums. I promise you, they're, the spirit you feel right now will follow you in your car. You may miss an exit or two, wiping tears. Uh, Billy Graham did a movie on my life. It's called Scars That Heal. And let me explain to you, I am not about Dave Reaver. It's a movie about my life, yes. But it's about Jesus Christ in my life. Because if you take Jesus out, why bother? It's not a story. It's, it, there's no uplift without Christ. So it's the story of Jesus in the life of Dave Reaver. Scars That Heal, it's rated R for righteous. No cursing, no nudity. I do not appear naked in my movie. (laughs) And that's why there's no cursing. (laughs) (laughs) And a book called Scarred. I've had this book here before. I think you'll find it an amazing book. And it is still being written in the book of Acts, I call it. Because last week on the river, as I mentioned, in Vietnam on the Cambodian border, escorted by translators and a few security good people come to find out as I toured the very river remembering firefight after firefight one of the men on board was a graduate of our Bible school online and he was a Viet Cong during that war and he's a pastor of a church today give the Lord a clap offering in this place that is the power of Jesus Christ he crosses all the lines. Also, a book called War and Recovery. This book is relatively new, but let me explain what I mean by that. The stories are current. They're of this war, but a few of my own that I never shared. I was not at ease. I just It, it, it kind of made me uncomfortable. And as I've worked now with these wounded guys that have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan I see their vulnerability because they're willing to talk about anything and everything. So it kind of embarrassed me that I was holding back. And stories that I'd never print, put in print, you'll read in this book, called War and Recovery, Emphasis on Recovery. Every Tuesday night, please, if you need to write this down or text it to yourself or whatever you do to keep the string on your finger, if you know what I mean, every Tuesday night at 11 o'clock local time, set your DVR if you don't go to bed uh, that late. It's called War and Recovery on the Trinity Broadcast Network. And you will meet the young heroes that I've had the most distinct honor to help retrain and reconnect in our program called Operation Warrior Reconnect. On War and Recovery, you'll hear stories by our young warriors, stories like this book is filled with amazing reconnect. Recon is the short version of what we do. And we, we literally... Recon Orders it's called Throughout the Military Wounded and seek out the best of the best and turn them into preachers of the gospel doing what I'm doing today, taking a tragedy and using it for the kingdom of God. You will love that book, I promise you. And its endorsements come from naval captains, generals in the army, people who recognize the value of what a faith-based program can do to change the life that no other program in the nation does. We are the only faith-based organization DOD sends their warriors to, while they're still on active duty. We get them when they're still fresh, wounded, and they need help so desperately. That book's wonderful. And pastor, as always, we carry our famous shirt. Live your life, so the preacher won't have to lie at your your funeral. So be sure and get one of those as you leave today. Thanks, Ken. Good job. It's good to be in a church that enjoys laughter. You know, I've been to churches a few times where I was a speaker, and I felt like a fish out of water, you know. I'd make a statement I knew had a, a unique contrast to make something a little lighthearted, and they sit there like a bunch of dead logs, you know. And you say, I thought I was at a church, not a mortuary. <laughs> and, of course, the offering was about the same, too. And <laughs> you figure that out after a while. But I've got to tell you something. Either we have the joy of the Lord, or I'm not interested. Because if it's not joyful to know Christ, how can, you know, how can you know the risen Savior and not be happy about it? How can you know the Jesus that overcame death, hell, and the grave and not laugh in the face of the devil and rejoice about it? So it's good to be here and have that. Uh, I, I have a scripture I'd like to read for you, if I may. I read from my iPhone. Uh, My grandson showed me something the other day that if you put your fingers on that screen and you spread them apart, it makes letters great big. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Did you know that, Pastor? uh, I'll show you how later. (laughs) This comes from uh, 2 Corinthians. If you don't know where that is, go to 1 Corinthians and turn right to chapter 4. I'm going to read just two verses. This is chapter 4, verse 7, and verse 8. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, I, could, I could start right there and finish right there and, and, and fill way more time than I have. But I'm going to move on to the next verse. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, which means no visible way out. But we're not in despair. We don't give up. Kind of like TCU last night. Come on. It's the most amazing game I've seen in a, in, anyway. Perplexed, but not in despair. Look at verse nine. I, I was going to stop it. Persecuted. Boy, does that fit today, especially in the Middle East? If you're a Christian over there, there's a bounty on your life. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And I'm going to talk about that last one. Cast down. There's some of you in here are, that, have, that look at me and you probably say, Boy, I'm glad I didn't go down the road that boy had been down. And I, I hear that from a lot of people that you know, they say, Man, I couldn't have taken it. Well, Some of you have been through divorce and you're still in love with Jesus. I don't know how I could have taken that. Nothing comes our way we can't endure with the Spirit of the Lord in us. And I, I want to tell you that being cast down, I guess everybody sometime or another goes through that moment of being cast down. But I want you to see standing before you, not by my strength, not by my goodness, not by my power, but I am an earthen vessel with an excellent power in me that is not of myself. So it's not Dave Reaver. It's of God. And and there's two ways that I, I, I can point to this, and then I want to get right on to some personal illustrations because personal illustrations are more valid in confirmation of your word than what God's done for somebody else. What God did for you is what translates to the person you're witnessing to or sharing with. And I want to get to what God's done and share some great victories with you. But I, I want to make sure you understand that People look at me many times and wish for themselves they never go through what I've been through. I look at them and I thank God that I'm not them, especially when they're uglier than me and never were burned. (laughs) I've seen a few guys that, man, they were born, the doctor slapped their mother. (laughs) And they're wondering, what happened to me? I what happened to your mom? And then teenagers who will say, Whoa, dude, what up in your face? And I tell him I was burned bobbing for french fries. That's fun to watch out one. <laughs> Until one of them said, did you get one? <laughs> His voice was changing and everything, and I'm thinking, oh, I remember those days. So what's my point? My point is this. We all, at some point in our lives, get cast down, and we bear the scars of it. We bear the scars. And I have a lot of scar tissue, and I could show you the rest of it, but then I'd have to kill you. But with steel bars that hold my leg and my foot correctly so I can walk without falling. Uh, to I have to go back for surgery in a, in a week. Uh, I guess, pardon me, in a month, about a month, one month from now, back to Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. They're taking me back there for surgery on my right eye. It never stops. It's like, okay, we've, we've made it a month without surgery. What's next? And it's like the parts keep falling off and they keep sewing them back on because I I bear the scars of being cast down, but I'm not destroyed. There's a lot of things that are broken that can be fixed. They're not destroyed. And this earthen vessel comes to my mind. Earthen means it's made of dirt. Well, that's usens. I know some of you think you're just golden, but you're dirt. (laughs) How's that for a start of a new year? We're just dirt. But I got to tell you something. That earthen vessel made of dirt, that earthen vessel can have within it something that is more precious than if it was made of 600 pounds of solid gold. Of all people to quote, this certainly is not the best one, but he's attributed for saying it in the old Chinese proverb. uh, Confucius is supposed to have said, No vessel is truly empty until it is broken. Well, you know what? He's right, whether we like him or not. And I'm not into Zen Buddhism, but I like the way the Bible puts it this way. A broken and contrite spirit is a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of the living God. How do you smell today? It's a fair question. I was on Good Morning America years ago, and I was sitting between two perfect people. They're perfect. Until they take the makeup off that girl and find Jimmy Hoffa underneath there. <laughs> and they're just perfect. And they're interviewing a guy that, you can't put enough makeup on me. And when the music starts, you, you know you're supposed to finish your sentence quickly because we're going to commercial, right? It's a hard break, they call it. So they're breaking, getting ready to go to a hard break, and I'm finishing my last sentence, and... They said, we'll be right back with Dave Reaver. And she thought the camera and the microphone was off. And she turned and looked at me. She's sitting on my right side. She turned and looked at me and she said, God, you smell good. I don't use the name of God like that ever. To me, that's cursing. And you you do what you want. But I'm never going to use that name in that context like that. But then I thought, wait a minute. I think she had identified something. It isn't my Lagerfeld. Or my Jewish leather. <laughs> A little prompt there. Hold up the applause sign. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't that fragrance that, that girl was referring to. There was something transferring from my spirit to theirs that she commented. And she identified the source when she said God. You smell good because it's God that smells good. It's not Dave. It's not you. It's, it's Jesus in us. Amen. Give the Lord a clap, Pop, and That's okay because he is a sweet-smelling savor. And as an earthen vessel, as, as they search through rubble to find even a little piece of pottery that they can build the whole potted vessel back, it's kind of like finding one tooth and they build a dinosaur around it and put it in the Smithsonian. And I'm thinking, if there's anything good in me, it's not of me, but it's of God. But how can we say we are truly empty if we've never been broken? Because you say, oh well, you know, it's like the pot on Grandma's mantle. It's empty. Well, go check it out. There's a dead fly in that thing. So shake it out. Now it's empty. Well. It's got the wing of the dead fly stuck on the side of it. Well, then we'll wash it. Now it's got the residue of the soap well dry. It. Now it's got the lint from the drying towel. There will always be something in the vessel that has never been broken. But when it's broken, the walls all come down. And Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put Humpty Dumpty together again. But when along comes the king, Humpty Dumpty's going to be just fine. Now there will be a lot of cracks and scar tissue but Jesus didn't go to Calvary in the limousine to die by lethal injection. He chose the hard road. They crucified the Son of God, hands up, palms out. And the world can see his scars. And when he says, I know how you feel, he has a scar to prove it. You see, here's the thing about Suffering. So many people run from it because they think the world's going to translate that as God's a bad God. Everybody gets hurt. That's not the question in life. The question in life is when you get hurt, how are you going to deal with it? Why me, God? Don't do that. He might answer you. I don't know, George, there's something about you I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, George, that's not God revealing something out there. God doesn't do evil. God didn't do this to me. He didn't shoot me that day. He didn't blow that hand grenade that day. He didn't set me on fire. But he didn't stop it. And I dealt with that for years. And one of the great moments of my life came when on a television show on Trinity Broadcast, Jan Krauts looked at me and she said, you know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned? And I'm thinking, no. But this blue-haired wonder is going to explain it all to me. <laughs> I was so mad at her, I could have pinched her a little head off, but it wasn't the Jerry Springer show. But it was Christian TV where you fake it for Jesus, you know. (laughs) So I pretended to be a gentleman when I really didn't feel like being one. And I said, no, Miss Jan, I don't guess I know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. And she lowered her glasses and looked at me. When a woman does this to me, I just go upstairs to the corner. She's going to send me to time out (laughs) in. She said, he didn't stop it from happening because he knew he could trust you with a scar. How often do we translate suffering as punishment when it's actually just the opposite? It is the most highly credited thing God could have allowed to happen to you because he trusted you to not throw in the towel and quit and will deliver you one day to his glory and you will be a shining example of what God can do in any broken vessel's life. And by the way, not all scars are on the outside where you can see them like mine. Some of you have more scars on the inside than I'll ever have on the outside. I don't know how you made it. I don't know how except Jesus. How did you do it? How'd you get through it? Some of you are taking that personal because you know the suffering. You know the pain you've been through. And you are saying, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And my heart goes out to you to encourage you and to always be one who can point to Jesus and say, this is how I made it. Not because you're good, and you are, I'm sure, but you're not that good. You're wonderful, I'm sure, but not that wonderful. There's nobody like Jesus. I can't make it a day without him, and if you think I'm kidding, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. And I'm not going to go into details because it's not about me this morning. I want to get this point across to you, though, that on that riverbank, when we pulled up to the point of my injury, and it took... Five hours to get there from the point of entry of the boat. It took five hours, and it was a faster boat. And when we slid it up on the riverbank, there was a little house there, and this old man came out. And I'm in a communist country, and I don't know how he's going to receive us. You know, what are you doing sliding that boat up on my property? I don't know what he's going to do. He walked out, and he was very pleasant. He said, can I help you? And, of course, in Vietnamese, my translator said, this man, he pointed to me, he said, this man was injured at this very spot while serving here when the Americans were here in 1969, and the old man just looked at me and he I could see him scanning me and he saw my face and my hands. Tears came to his eyes and he said, tell that man, on behalf of everybody on this river, thank you for fighting for our freedom. You know, I've heard thank you from a zillion people, but when it comes from the people that you were hurt, fighting for, you were burned, fighting for, it has a different meaning. That's why it's never good enough for your parents to, th- to say thank God for saving you. You say thank God that Jesus died for you. You show that gratitude to Jesus, it means more than anybody else's gratitude. For you, speak for yourself when it comes to knowing and thanking Jesus. Well, that day in Vietnam, when that grenade blew, I jumped in the river, but the water could not extinguish white phosphorus, which is what the grenade was. I'm burning at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And when I surfaced, it, surfaced, I was still burning and there were pieces of me floating around everywhere on fire. I, I, it's a visual scene that I struggle with. Used to, when I would start to talk about it, I would start smelling my flesh on fire and the smell of my flesh burning mixed with white phosphorus odor. Now I can talk about it without the additional sense of smell. But I remember well that day because when I inhaled to speak, I sucked that fire right down into my larynx and set my tongue on fire. And I yelled out with a ball of fire coming out of my mouth. I said, God! And what would follow? would either be a curse or a blessing because I'd heard nothing but curse all through that war from all those people around me that had been hurt. Now it's my turn. But what followed was not a curse. I said, God, I still believe in you. Those words, identical with a passion I cannot imitate. But when I spoke those words, one of the guys that had mocked and ridiculed and blasphemed dropped to his knees and gave his heart to Jesus that day. I only had two converts in Vietnam during the whole time I was there. But on July the 26th, there was another new name written down in glory. And this young man gave his heart to Christ. There were three of them that were on my boat with me, four of us per boat. It was a river boat made of fiberglass, as I mentioned. It runs very fast. That was our strength. That was our defense because when it's moving fast, it's hard to hit. Because fiberglass is not going to defend you from a BB gun. And they called me Dudley Do right another one called me Dr. Doolittle, and the other one called me preacher man. I thought that was a compliment. I called them pervert number one, pervert number two, and pervert number three. And they thought that was a compliment. It was quite the contrast, I can tell you that. You got preacher man and the, Three perverts sound like a gospel rock and roll band, doesn't it? <laughs> but God had a plan for my life, and it included surviving that day. When they flew in the helicopter to pick me up, I was on the bank of the river still burning because water cannot extinguish burning phosphorus. And when I fell over backwards, everybody thought I died, and word went through the Pentagon, to the Pentagon through my chain of command that I was KIA, killed in action which is really interesting spelling. A guy tried to sell me a car the other day. <laughs> Do not buy that car. That thing will kill you. Killed in auto. Every time you look at the steering wheel, you think, I'm going to die today. <laughs> it's a bad joke. It's a great car. I'm trying to cover us from a suit. <laughs> <laughs> helicopter picked me up. They rolled me on a stretcher, got me in the helicopter, and away we go, and the medic thinks I'm dead. He's filling out my death report. And I'm thinking... This really hurts. I'm on fire, and now the shock is wearing off, and I make my first move. I yell, which was barely a squeak, but it was loud enough. I said, medic, and he almost jumped out of that helicopter. The pilot starts going down, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, we're gonna crash now, and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> they got me to Japan, where I very stupidly asked for a mirror. Now, they didn't fly me to Japan by helicopter, mind you, but. It went through a series of places to stop and put me on a big jet, and flew me to Japan. And it was there that I stupidly asked for a mirror and they stupidly brought it. And I looked in the glass and I saw what was left. And I figured she's not going to love me. No teenage girl is going to love a freak and a monster. So I decided I would take my life. And I'm not proud of that. I'm not even saying what I'm about to say in defense. I'm just an explanation. When you mix pain, physical, with the visual, emotional pain, and then you add the effects of a drug, which I've never taken drugs in my life. You, I can hallucinate on a half dosage of St. Joseph's aspirin for children. <laughs> I mean, you blow cigarette smoke in my face, and I come down with cancer. I'm very susceptible to that kind of thing, and here I am in a hospital asking for a mirror, and they brought it, and I saw what was left. I said, she's not gonna let me, so I I didn't have a gun or knife, and and the only way I knew to kill myself was just pull the tube, lay my head back, and wait, and I did. Pulled the tube, laid my head back, waited, and I got hungry. (laughs) It was the wrong tube. (laughs) I pulled out lunch. You can, you can die that way, but if you smell one taco, you're gonna plug that tube back in. All I could think of was Joe T. Garcia, and that came from God. And and the marriage supper of the lamb will be Mexican food. I sure hope so. God Misdirected my hand. The angel of the Lord was encamped around about me, and in my confusion, he helped me not to die that day. He sent me to America to Brook Army Medical Center. It's where it started, and in a week or so, uh, in a month, so I get to go back. Now, I've been back many times, and I go back and work with the troops that are in there, and they're always horrific, horrific injury. 99% of them are burned and amputated. So I'm in this room with 12 others there's 13 of us all together and the door opens and they let the first person in and she walked straight over to the guy in the bed next to mine he was burned 100% third degree with no skin left at all guaranteed to die she took off her wedding ring and tossed it on the bed and she said you're embarrassing I couldn't walk down the street and then she walked out I didn't know humanity could be that cruel then along came Isis and in my lifetime, I've seen the cruelty of emotional and physical to the max. And I didn't want either one, but I'm already enduring the physical. Now comes the emotional because I knew that little teenage girl standing out there is going to walk in, take off a wedding ring, and throw it on the bed. The door opened and she walked straight up. The doctor showed her the chart on my bed. She said, that's not him. But whenever they walked up to the pillow end and there's my... Face, looking at her with one eye. She looked into one eye and she knew. She knew. That's him. And she looked into my soul and she answered the question of life. She bit down and kissed what was left of my face. She said, I want you to know I love you. Welcome home, Davy. And when she says, Davy, <laughs> <laughs> I said, baby, I'm sorry. She said, why? I said, because I can't look good for you anymore. She said, baby, you, you never were good looking. <laughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth shall tick thee off. I left that hospital a year and two months later, suitcase in one hand, sweetheart in the other, and I've never been back until next month, but I'm going to tell you one thing. This is not a joke. If it hadn't been for those good doctors and the great physician and the love of a woman, I wouldn't be here. And every man in this room needs to hear me. Do not ever take your spouse, never take a woman for granted. Always set the example for a young boy by opening the door for his mother, even for his sister. Open that door. For a woman, if you know her or not, show respect to a woman. We can stop the home violence and the abuse in our homes that our children see every day. We can stop. it, But it's going to take men who respect a woman. And I'm going to tell you, you can pull that chair back and let her sit down first. And you can buy her flowers. Not, Not just any woman there. It gets a little more personal. You say, I don't have that kind of money. Well, I don't either. Go to the cemetery. I get them there. They're free. I mean, why let a good flower go to waste? I guarantee you, the guy under there won't say a word. I asked him, how much did they cost? He said, Nothing. Okay, it's a little early. So I left the hospital and Brendan and I never looked back. I don't know how people can look back. I, I don't know how to look back. My head doesn't turn that far. Some people have the owl, the head of a, of a hoot owl. They can turn and look back so easy I cannot. I don't want to look back. I want to I plow a straight furrow and, and get to the destination before me. My destination is heaven. My destiny is how I go about getting there. And that shifts a little and it moves and it changes here and there to meet the need of the moment. But the destination's identical. From the day I gave my heart to Christ at 16 years old. That's when I met Brenda. That's when I asked her to marry me, she slapped me. (laughs) (laughs) So, I did good until 9-11. And on that day, my life changed again. This time, my destiny was a little bit affected almost. I mean, it was like it got shaky. Because I had thoughts and words that I knew God would not be pleased with in my mind. And I made some bad decisions. I tried to join the Navy again. And they laughed, they said. And at that time, I weighed 365 pounds. They said, "We, we, we you'd have to go to Dallas Tent and Awning to have a uniform built. <laughs> You're 100% disabled already from the war. What are you thinking? Two weeks later, I got a call from Department of Defense, and they sent me to Langley, and that's when it all started to this very day, still traveling, working with our troops all over the world, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Iraq, from Cyprus to Okinawa, you name it, if there's a military installation there, I've probably been there, because God had a plan for my life, and you would have thought that 37 years, and that was four or five years ago, I quit counting. At at the 37th year, I had passed the mark of 7 million students I have addressed face-to-face in public school assemblies. 7 million kids. And I thought that was my career. 37 years plus? Come to find out it was only preparatory school for what God's letting me do today. As I go in and out of these war zones to young men and women who say, you came to my school. And then they proceed to tell me my own story like I'd never heard it. I said, really? (laughs) Sometimes they get it wrong, and it's really amazing. (laughs) Wow. Even God says, whoa. (laughs) But it's been a great life. And there's only one thing I would change. And that's probably got your attention. What would I change? When people say, is there any regrets, plural? I say, no regrets, plural. I have one regret, And that is that if I was going to suffer this much, this long, to this day still in pain, I wish it had been for the cause of Christ. I wish I could look you in the eye and tell you. Because of my stand for Jesus, they tied me to a stake. They piled the rubble around me and set it on fire, trying to kill me. But God delivered me. Wouldn't that be a great story? But second best is not first loser in this case. As far as I'm concerned, it's God and country, but God first. But I want you to look at me, and I want to say it. I'm proud of my scars and stripes for my country. I would not change that. Thank you. I'll close with this, and this will be a singular close. I won't close my closed conclusion. And I'll make this little story quick, but it's one of the great moments of my life, and I've shared it so many times that some of you have heard it probably. If not, it doesn't change the, the zeal in my spirit for the cause of freedom, the valor the suffering, the pain, the honor. I was asked by Department of Defense to do a tour across the entire nation, starting at Dover and going all the way into the Pacific to be with our troops in the what's called PACAF Pacific Command. I gotta get myself emotionally ready for this. I was speaking at Dover Air Force Base And I was addressing NSA, which, by the way, don't make jokes about them. (laughs) I did, and the next day my phone was hacked. (laughs) You heard me. (laughs) But also uh, present was Fort Meade, the the intelligence uh, military installation for all the services, along with Dover Air Force Base and Dover Delaware Mortuary the National Morgue. And a colonel came up to me after my presentation. He said, have you been through the morgue? And I said, no, thank God. (laughs) He said, you know what I mean? I said, no, I've never been there. He said, I'd like to take you. I said, I'd be honored. Let me shorten it down to just as quickly as possible, a few paragraphs. He took me to the autopsy room and I I declined entering. I said, I would never dishonor that hallowed place by walking into gawk much less if there had been remains of one of our fallen warriors. There were none, and I wouldn't go in anyway. He said, I understand. I said, but Colonel, is this not the hardest assignment you've ever been given? He said, no, not this, but come. He said, I'll take you there. And he took me to another room, and there were thousands of uniforms hanging on hangers there, of all four branches. Actually, more than that, because all the uniform services include medical, they include, the uh, guard around our perimeters of the nation, et cetera, et cetera. I said, why so many uniforms? Is this a storage room for the base exchange? I didn't get the word out completely, but I caught it just before I made a fool of myself. He said, no. Every uniform here will one day, sooner or later, house the remains of someone who loved you, loved me, and loved this nation more than themselves. I felt my knee try to give way. And I felt a little trembling. I said, Colonel, you mean? He said, yes. These are uniforms to go with the remains. I said, is this that place, that most difficult assignment? He said, "Not, not yet. Come, he said. I'll take you there. And he took me to a place called the Fisher House where families come together. And I think four or five in the largest Fisher House of over 50 that I think I'm aware of. But it's the most beautiful home. Decor is phenomenal. The smell of Corinthian leather, the uh, the beautiful mahogany furniture, and oh, it's just spectacular. Where families of the fallen can come for counsel and consolation. And I was about to ask if this was that place, and he said, "Come, I want to show you something." And over at the chapel, there was a little anteroom. And the minute he opened the door and I looked in, I knew where I was. Giant panda bears, Tonka toy trucks. Yeah, you know, this was where the children go for that counsel and consolation. But there's a blackboard in that little room that's not up on the level of an adult eye, but down on the eye level of a child. And pictured on my phone today are the words written in chalk as a child would say, My mom is the world to me. A mom that baby would never see again never hear the hum of amazing grace as she lays her ear on her breast. Never again would that child look into the eyes of the most precious soul on earth to her, to him, a mom who meant the world to that child. I said, it's here, isn't it? I couldn't stop my own tears. He said, not yet. Come, he said. I'll take you there. He took me over to the flight line There the giant C-5A flies in. The C-130 lands. And instead of having helicopters or helicopter parts, instead of foodstuffs for downrange fighting of a war, there was the most precious cargo it would ever carry in what's called the angel flight. It's the remains of a fallen warrior, someone who loved us more than themselves. Whenever they lower that giant ramp, Men and women in sharp-dressed uniform go in, unstrap that what we would call a casket, officially known as a transfer case. And it's escorted off that airplane in the crisp steps of unison of six men and women. It's loaded in the back of a truck that's there without even a chip of paint on that truck. The wheels glisten and the tires are fresh. Everything is perfect. The whole scene is perfect. Separating that scene from the seating of a family is a big rope with golden hooks on either end, suspended on golden stands, and a shade to save them from the blast of the hot sun. But a train's coming off that train, off that plane next, gonna run right over that family. Because when they, for the first time, have eye contact with that transfer case. It's more than the heart can bear. I said, what happens, Colonel? He says, sometimes we have a runner. I said, what's a runner, sir? He said, that's when Mama can't take it anymore. She jumps that rope, and she takes off down the road, chasing that truck to that autopsy room you respected so much. I felt my heart flutter. No way to stop the tears now. The visual image of a mama chasing her truck just one more time. just No logic, no common sense here. That doesn't matter. That's out the window. She just wants her baby back. She just wants her baby. And we thought freedom was just an entitlement not on your life in someone else's life. I said, sir, what do you do? He says, well, I have to jump that rope and I take off down that street chasing her. And I said, what do you do when you catch her? He says, I hold her. I said, Colonel, what do you say to her? And he said to me, there's nothing I can say that can console her broken heart. I just hold her. The words of Abraham Lincoln come to mind in a letter he wrote to a Mrs. Bixby that he had received from the War Department, from the Judge Advocate General of the great state of Massachusetts, a letter informing him that five, not one, two, three, four, five, my friend, five of her sons, as he wrote, died gloriously on the field of battle, fighting for the cause of the union and freedom. And he goes on to explain that he knows his words cannot assuage her from her rightful grief, nor does he intend those words to do that. But he closes with this sentence The solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. It leads me to my closing sentence. Pastor, you're a theologian by virtue of your, and nature of your calling. Maybe I stand corrected and I would be corrected by you, gladly and readily. But would it be out of line to use the word pride in what I want to describe God as? Oh God, the pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. For the cause of freedom, there will be bloodshed and there will be tears of the soul that will bleed through the ducts of the eye into a bandage called a pillow. I know some pain, but I've never known that pain. And with this thought, somebody loved me more than themselves. So I'm chasing a truck today have you ever chased a truck? I'm chasing one. Came right through Fort Worth across this stage. I'm chasing a truck called American. In the back of it lie the remains of what used to be called freedom. Freedom, mind you. Freedom of speech and religion. When a child can go to a school, carry his or her Bible, and can pray over her food, can pray on that campus legally, rightfully, and no screaming red-faced atheist can take that away from them. I want that freedom back. I want the freedom back in something that used to be called holy matrimony. I want it back. Where a man and a woman can be together 48 years and people not be astounded, it should be the norm, not the exception. I want a great nation back. And people can disagree but not be disagreeable. And that nation is called America. In closing, we have a little three and a half or four minute video I'd like to share with you. It's been my honor to minister to you today. Pastor will come right at the end of that video. And we'll explain in two or three sentences what you're giving to. But right now, would you look at this video with me?